Hey lovelies, I'm really excited about my guest today, Sheila Lincoln-Sheps. I'm even more excited for her book, The Layers Project, because of what it means in the world of orthodox publishing. You'll hear more of my thoughts on this in this conversation. For right now, what's important is I want to show that there is not only a need for these stories, but a real market for them. So I decided to give a little gift to any lovely who pre-orders the book. Email me proof of your pre-order. A screenshot thanking you for your order will do. You know those order confirmation emails that you get? Do that, send that to me, and I'll send you a code for $40 off whatever you'd like at impactfashionnyc.com. That's about how much the book will cost you. So think of it as me paying for your book. It's also enough to get yourself the coziest scarf for free. And I'm taking that bundle of deliciousness off the site at the end of this month. So hop to it. Also a reminder that you can listen to all of my episodes and then discuss them with myself and other lovelies on Schmoozy. Doing so will enter you into a giveaway for a $100 gift card to impactfashionnyc.com. Simply download Schmoozy to your phone and continue the conversation. That's S-H-M-U-Z-Y. Let's schmooze together after you enjoy the show. From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. I'm Rifki Squitz, and on today's show, I talk with a photojournalist and author about her new book. She shares how chronic illness led to her first anonymous writing pieces, why she believes everyone has a story, and the heaviness of holding her subject's pain for the years-long process of writing theirs down. When I edit this show, I'm always mindful about preserving the guest's natural cadence and speech patterns. We all have different rhythms to the way we speak, and I think we learn a lot about other people from theirs. Shira Lankin-Sheps is thoughtful. She measures every word and is deeply intentional about what she puts out into the world. It makes her the perfect safekeeper of so many other women's stories. Can you do me a favor and actually pronounce your full name so I make sure I don't mess it up? Shira Lankin-Sheps. That's what I thought. And Lankinships is your middle name, or is Lankin your middle name, or like your hyphenated last name? And Lankin is my maiden name, but actually, fun fact, I changed it. When I got married, I changed it to my middle name. So now my legal name is Sheer Lankinship. That's awesome. Why, like, t- talk to me about that decision. That's not how I usually start, but I'm so interested so, to know. It was such an easy decision um, because I told myself whatever I was going to do in my life, I wanted my parents to get nachas from it. There you go. That, yeah, I like it. That's and that's yeah. such a that's that's a nice way of doing it. I like it. I like it more than the. I don't know why I like it more than the hyphen, but I like it. That's very yeah. There's no hyphen. That, that's very cool. Um, yeah. t- can you tell me what you were like as a little kid? Oh, as a little kid, uh, precocious, um, funny. I do like a lot of imitations and like accents and stuff. Like I'm still like that. It's so funny because people think that you know because layers is such a serious endeavor um, that I'm a really serious person and I'm not, I'm like, I'm like, I'm, I'm crazy. I'm, I'm off the walls. I'm <laughs> like funny. Like you guys see me with my siblings. Like I'm like really, um, I don't know, I'm fun. But people would never know that. You would never expect that. People are like, oh, I didn't realize that you were funny. I'm like, I don't know, really I am. <laughs> so what led such a funny and precocious chick like yourself mm. to start Layers? And can you tell, can you uh, explain what Layers is for someone who might not know? You got it. Um, so Layers originally was a photojournalism-based blog 
where I interviewed Jewish women about what I called the challenges and triumphs of their lives. Um, I went to social work school and I got my MSW from Hunter. And then I experienced like a five or six year bout with chronic illness, like intense chronic illness, where at one point I was like completely bedridden for several months. Um, and so when I began my journey of healing, um, I became a photographer and then I was like, you know, taking, you know, headshots and family photos and it was so beautiful and it was like so exciting because I was out in the world after being kind of like locked down, which I think everybody can relate to now in my home for so long. Um, and I was just capturing all these really beautiful moments, but I kept telling myself, I'm not there yet at that place where I need to be. It just didn't feel resonant to me. And I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll start this project. Um, and as a writer and a social worker and a photographer, I kind of combined all the things that really spoke to me and created the Layers Project, which initially was a blog. Um, and then we just kept getting so many submissions that it turned into a full-fledged magazine online in 2018. And so uh, I've been running the Layers Project for about four years now. And uh, now we have a book that's coming out, which we're very excited about. It's very exciting. What I love so much about the Layers Project, first of all, occasionally I'll ask people, who, do, who, who should I have on the podcast? Who should I talk to? Who do we want to talk to? Every single time I ask, you come up and the Layers Project really? comes up every single time because Aww, the, so nice. it's, I think that it's because there's, there's something really special about taking a, an entire societal experience and zooming in on one person and zooming in on what, you know, how one specific person is experiencing a, just life and all of the different phenomenons within. And the way that you do that by telling just each story is really special. It's really resonant. I love reading the stories because I, I mean, maybe it's the Yenta in all of us. It's certainly the Yenta in me a little bit. It is. But it's, it's, there's something very, I guess, not even lighthearted. There's just something very uplifting about that, um, about seeing all of those stories. When you started, you know, and you mentioned that you were chronically ill, was it, was it something that you did just to keep yourself busy? No. Um, basically, what happened was that when I was sick, before I knew that I had any kind of chance of healing, I didn't really know what was going on with me. Um, but I, it had been going on for a long time and I was experiencing like intense shame, really intense shame about being ill, which is ridiculous. <laughs> I didn't do anything wrong, but it was just about being othered. It was being outside my community. I wasn't the perfect, I'm like a very type A personality and I wasn't, you know, the perfect version of myself that I wanted to be, which was obviously unrealistic, but you know, you live and you learn. You know, I wanted to be the perfect wife and the perfect mother, and I wanted to make everything from scratch and the perfect professional, and I wanted to set the world on fire, and I was broken, completely broken. And so what happened was um, I was doing a lot of writing, but the writing was very dark, very dark. And, you know, as someone who was struggling with chronic illness and feeling broken, it would be dark. And um, I kind of, I, I was very ashamed, and so I was deep submitting anonymous pieces to this magazine and this magazine and they were like listen Sheer, we love your writing but if you really want to make a difference you need to stand up with your name and I was terrified but I was like you know what fine so I started a blog called Emunat Chabalelod and I wrote this post where um, I said hey my corner of the world I'm sick 
and I have a lot of shame about that, and I'm learning to accept it with grace. Illness has brought a lot of things to me. This is not what I wanted for my life. This is not what I expected, but I'm, I'm going to attempt to relinquish rage and um, engage with this with humility in the sense that Hashem knows what I need to be doing. He's bringing me on a journey that I didn't expect, and I got to roll with that. And um, I hit click. And it was like a tremendously overwhelming experience. People that I knew, people that I didn't know were reaching out to me. This was like way back five years ago before people were talking about stuff online. People were not talking about stuff online. And, um, and then two days later, my grandmother died. And I wrote this eulogy for her that eventually was passed around in the community uh, where my grandmother was living. And somebody saw my original post and she said, you know what? I know what's going on with Shira. I have, a, I have a sneaking suspicion that she has what my son has. And she put us in touch. And on that day, this is two weeks afterwards, after my initial post, I got an accurate diagnosis and I begun a journey of healing. And so when I was recovered enough, not recovered fully, but recovered enough, because I really was dragging myself for a long time. I said to myself, well, what can I do and what can I put out into the world that's going to be healing for others? Like I experienced healing myself. And I said, not everybody's going to start a blog, but maybe I can facilitate that kind of storytelling by doing it for them and then being the vehicle to bring those stories to their world. And that's kind of how Lair started. Wow. What was it like getting your diagnosis? How long had you been sick before you... Got an about, accurate... six, about six years. Six years. Yikes! Talk to me about that feeling. I mean, we've we've interviewed, we've had a, there's a, there's been a couple of episodes of this podcast um, for with people who had chronic illness. Uh, the most mm. the the one that's coming to my head immediately right now is the episode that we did with Dina Polevsky. Scroll back a little bit in the feed, you'll find it. Um, what was the what was the process? Was it, I'm assuming that it was like a slow regression and then a slow, you know, journey back. Talk, talk to me a little bit about that. See, it's so funny because when you're talking about chronic illness, like for me, it was autoimmune disease and a bunch of other things. Um, for me, my body was like seriously um, deconditioned in a really, really intense way. And it took me years to put myself back together. My husband used to joke that I was like a car that was like, you know, with the engine on, kind of sitting behind the garage door. And like, you're kind of like stewing in your own, like the steam coming out of you, like exhaust, and you're just like ready to go. And you're just waiting for the garage door to open. Like I was ready to be living far before, like emotionally far before my body was ready. And so I did a lot of work on myself um, and so I started this way earlier than people would realize in my healing process, which is, it's hard to even look back now, how I literally was to physically drag myself, but it, it felt so resonant to me. It felt like this is what I'm supposed to be doing now. And even now looking back, I can very clearly pinpoint how the experience of the illness created me into this version of myself because I'm a very different person than I was before illness. I learned a lot of things about myself that I didn't know. I did a lot of healing that I, I didn't know that I needed. And so this version of myself is the person who's doing this work. Um, and I can't look back with regret. Even, even in looking back, it's painful. I can't look back with regret because I, I love where I am and what I'm doing. And I think it's what my soul's supposed to be doing. 
that's a that's that must be really and I'm the only thing that I can think to describe this as emotion, which I'm going to try to describe, but just this very deep breath, this very, you do have a sense of calm about you. You are, you, you do have a, a little bit of a Zen about you, which is, I, I got to say for okay. crazy me, it's, it's a nice counter. Okay. <laughs> what is something that, you know, with, with the layers project, um, you, you conduct these interviews and you, and it's this yeah. photo and it's kind of like for anyone who's familiar with, um, humans of New York, it's kind of like that for, um, Orthodox women generally. <laughs> and there's something really, really special about that. And what I'm curious to know from you is, is there something that you have seen is almost a common thread between, um, between the women who you, who you speak to and who you chronicle their stories? Yes, definitely. When I first started, I would get a lot of messages or people would come up to me on the street or, you know, in the supermarket or picking up my kids from school and be like, I love layers. I would love to be on layers, but like, I just, I don't have a story to tell. And I would always say the same thing, which was, you do. The question is, are you ready to tell it? You know, like if you really looked within, you know, we all have stories to tell. Now, I think that it's really important to delineate between stories that we are ready to tell and things that happen to us. Because there are certain things that happen to us that we're never gonna be ready to tell. And that's okay. Not everybody is ready to go online and tell their story to thousands of people on the internet or in a book, you know? Um, and I think it's a really important distinction. And whenever somebody comes to me to share a story, an essay, or a profile, I always say, are you ready to be an advocate for your cause? Like the thing that you're coming here to tell is something that has to be processed. It has to be chewed up and spit out. You have to have meaning making. It can't just be like a raw broken story. It has to be, you have to be whole. And, and that happens at multiple parts in everybody's life at, at different kinds of times. And so the main thread between all of the women that you see sharing on layers is that they are all prepared to be advocates for their cause. They're ready to stand up and share for the purpose of educating others, for validating others, for healing others. And in that process, there's an extra level of healing that happens for yourself um, that is really extraordinary. I've experienced it and I've seen it happen hundreds of times. And um, I think that's the main thread that's going to through everybody because everybody's going through different stuff but the meaning making is the stuff that holds it's the universality of it do you know what i mean yeah the you know it's not watching a train wreck is always fun but train wrecks are kind of the same every time they all kind of look around the same every time and it's when you're looking at something with perspective that you know if you've gone through something if you know when your story is is fully processed then that's where you as the person who it happened to can go back and and kind of tease out how that train wreck happened and what you can do you know read the black box as it were if we're gonna listen I always say that you know but people ask me like how come you don't feature celebrities how come you don't this how come you don't that and I say well because the point of layers is that we're talking about ordinary women who are living their lives extraordinarily because of their resilience. And so there are so many people like that. <laughs> the people in layers, every, everyone you know, everyone is extraordinary in terms of resilience, meaning life is really hard. 
really hard. It's hard to get through. It's hard to, everyone's got something, some sort of struggle, some sort of challenge. And so um, I think that the meaning making is a whole different kind of process. And it can be done in therapy. It can be done with me. It can be done on your own. But um, it's extraordinary to watch because then you start seeing everybody in your life in a different way. Because we assume that everybody's okay and everybody's got their life together and everything is fine and everyone's fine but us. But then, you know, in the beginning of the Layers Project, people would see people, women featured that they knew. They knew from their communities, from growing up, from shul, from school, whatever. And they're like, wow, I had no idea. I had no idea that this person was experiencing anything like this or any kind of challenge. And that is exactly the premise that everybody is. Everybody is. So the women who are on layers are average women. They're just extraordinary in the fact that they want to share, you know? Yeah, it's it's a really interesting way to approach you know, just, just to approach this common experience of being on the planet together. There's yeah. there's a lot that goes into it's it's it always boggles me a little bit. I mean, I don't know. I go back and forth on this because I'm a very private person, um, which I think would shock a lot of people because I am on I'm am on a public platform, but I think that people think they know a lot more about me than they actually do. Um, yep. You probably know a little bit a lot about my personality and not so much about my life. And at the same there's something I there's something about being out there and being, you know, and just being around other people, whether it's in a virtual way or in a in and in an in-person way. But, you know, really sitting down and having those conversations that allow you to get to know people, those are the things that we just don't do. Even like, forget about like the whole social media is killing our society. Forget about that for a second. <laughs> the, um, just like as humans, you meet someone in the grocery store. How you, hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm so good. Good to see you. Bye. Bye. And everyone, like everyone is, we've all been pretending that we're fine for years and decades. And like, since the beginning of time, every, everything is fine and all humans do this. And then we go home and we feel alone in our suffering and everyone is having this shared lonely experience and we're all miserable. That's so, exactly it. <laughs> and, right. And, and to me, it's almost mind boggling that we assume that like no one's that special like there is no one on this earth that is having a completely unique experience that nobody around them has ever had there's like we've all we've all seen this story you know like even disney movies are based on shakespeare there's there, there is nothing new that um that you can write and that's why something like the layers project is so exciting because it takes those those private moments and makes them a little more open so it's so funny. What I, I'm going to address the first thing that you said about privacy, because the versions of the stories that you read on layers are very intentionally chosen selections. You will never get someone's entire story ever in life. You, you talk to somebody, there's always going to be something that is left out. Um, but in these stories that I tell, the question is always, is this safe for you? Is it safe for you? emotionally safe, physically safe? Is this a good, legally safe? Is it safe for you to share? Um, is this going to help you or hurt you? And so because I'm a clinician, because I'm, I'm a therapist, and because Rachel Herxman, who's a clinical editor and director over at Layers, is also a clinician, 
this is what separates us from what a lot of other people are doing is because we ask these questions first. This is a priority number one, because the purpose of telling you stories has to be for healing. And if there's any other intention or any other, it's just wrong, in my opinion, in terms of like what I want to put into the world. It's just not, it's just, it's not what I want to do. So um, I think that privacy is extremely important. And so sometimes people will say, oh, I go on, oh, like layers, like it's so vulnerable. Like it's so, you know, like I feel so, I would feel so exposed. Yes. It, it, you are vulnerable and it is exposing. I've done it and it's, I haven't enjoyed it that I'm doing it right now with, we're telling a profile and tomorrow there's a big mental health part and it's scary. It's really scary to put yourself out there on the internet or even in a book format. But um, every word, every word is intentionally chosen. The women who are featured have a say in every single word, every line, every section. We go over it ad nauseum because that's how important it is to me to make sure that people feel that their privacy is protected. And so that being said, you're not going to get every part of the story. And sometimes when you read the story, there's going to be parts where you're going to be like, hey, but what about, you know, it's not fiction. I'm not going to tie up every end of the story for you. Can't. You know, there's some, if, if there's something that you don't know, it's because the, the woman sharing didn't want you to know, which is actually really like an important thing for people to realize is that we are not owed every detail of everybody's lives, including influencers and celebrities and women that you see sharing their stories online. You know, we're not owed every detail. What, what they share with us is, is, you know, we should be appreciative of that because we learned so much about their resilience or their experiences and inspiring us to, you know, live better. Yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned the book because I have a lot of questions about the book. Okay. Why take this thing that is, you know, the Layers Magazine online and on social media is this kind of ever-evolving thing. And one of the great things about the internet is that it's never finished. You know, you can always be updating, you can always be adding. Why take that and confine it between a front and back cover? Um, so for me, it was about concretizing the conversations that the internet is starting because the internet is ephemeral it's here one day it's gone the next and there's something so incredibly thrilling about having this gorgeous hard copy 500 page book filled with universal stories from these women their images which is kind of a big deal in the firm publishing world and they're raw, intimate stories. You're talking about engaging in the, in the publishing world. It's kind of a radical shift. There's nothing like this out there. And I, I believe that as from women, our stories are vitally important. They deserve to be heard and they're also deserve to be treated with respect. Seriousness, these, these, these stories are gonna, I mean, I hope, my hope when I wrote them was that they're going to um, kind of like set off a chain of conversations that are really badly needed to be had. There's so many issues in this book that we tackle. And so just having a hard copy, it's almost like a validation, I think, for a lot of us that our community cares about what we have to say, about our experiences. Um, and they, and in the, you know, working with Karen was so fabulous because publisher said to me, he's like, sure, I didn't publish this book because it's a ladies book and it's a good market. He's like, I published this book 
like it didn't matter if it was men or women. These stories are important and they need to be told. I was, so, my next question was going to be about your publisher. Um, and I do want to talk about this because this is important. Great. Okay. In the Orthodox world, many mainstream publications will not publish women's faces because they deem it to be immodest, mm-hmm. which in my opinion is a load of hooey. And that is the strongest language that I can use here without resorting to intense profanity. So that's <laughs> what we're going to go with, load of hooey. And my, I was actually, I kind of assumed that your book was self-published because that until now has really been the only way if you wanted to, if you wanted to market to a from market, um, that's why a lot of from women have embraced social media because that was the only platform that we had available to us. Um, in, in starting to promote my business, excuse me, I did reach out to, um, a couple of mainstream from magazines, you know, for, for features and things. And I actually did have a a conversation. I did meet with one for quite a long time. And the, the questions that I kept getting asked were, well, does, you know, can we feature your husband? Can your husband, you know, do you, can your, you know, can your husband come and present the business? And I was like, okay, first of all, I love my husband very much. And yes, he is my accountant, but as far as the business is concerned, he's not really more than that. Like, my husband's my accountant too, by the way. Exactly, it's very useful. Marry an accountant, everybody. It's very, very so useful. Good. So um, good. You know, it's, <laughs> and and I mean, how absurd is it to ask my husband to come and discuss my modest clothing company? It's bonkers. It's absolutely yeah. bonkers. And my story is not by any means a um, unique one in that respect at all. Um, the 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 erasure from women in in print is something that I think is a real serious problem. And, that, and I think that that's one of the reasons why the Layers Project resonated so deeply is because for the longest time, from women's stories were untold and not only untold, but unseen. And yeah. how, how was, how did, like, how did you find your publisher? How did that even happen? This is such a good story. First off, I just want to say that the Layers Project started in reaction to the fact that I was hearing a lot about this issue that women's um, women's images were being erased in from media. And I was like, okay, I actually can do something about this because I'm a photographer. Now I'm a, I'm a writer and I'm a social worker, but I also happen to be a photographer. So I'm just going to take pictures of these women and show the from world that we can take sneeze, appropriate, respectful, mikubad pictures of women and put them anywhere we want and tell their stories and treat them with respect. Uh, the reason why, you know, people ask me why I started my own thing instead of writing for this magazine or doing this or doing this is because I could do whatever I wanted and no one was going to tell me what to do. Um, and unfortunately, you know, as a from woman, there are a lot of limits that are placed on us. And so it was really thrilling for myself and a lot of other, I don't know, thousands of from women who go online and create their own faces and have tremendous following, tremendous influence because we've created these spaces where we see each other and we hear each other and we're vibing off of each other. And it's tremendous, tremendous. Um, Okay, about the book specifically. Um, The book was pitched to me by a different large Jewish publisher, a firm publisher. They pitched it to me and I didn't believe it at first. I didn't think, I didn't think that they would, I'm like, you know, we don't want to publish this. This is not, what do you mean? And they were like, no, 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 we do, we do, we do write a proposal. 
Um, and in the end, for like pretty obvious reasons, it just didn't vibe. Like what I was looking to do and what they wanted, it didn't vibe. But the woman who pitched it to me um, believed in this book so much that she was like, Shira, you need to pitch this elsewhere. And I, I knew that its home was at Koren. I just knew it. I just had a feeling. I knew it. And I reached out to them um, with the proposal. And within two days, I had a response from the publisher himself. And he said, I want this book. Come in. I, I had just moved to Jerusalem on a Tuesday. I got pitched a book on a Sunday. And by the end of the following month, I had a book contract in hand. Um, the images and the, the raw, intimate nature of the stories was never an issue. Not for one second. They did not give me one second. And I was the one who was like, but are you sure? Are you sure? Like, I don't want, you know, are you sure? You know, as a woman, we're always like being so apologetic about our stuff. And they were like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. This is a non-issue. This is not an issue for Karim. This is not what we do. We publish women's images. Your stories are important. I'm not even looking at this as like a, a lady's book. This is, I mean, you look at the cover, you know, um, it's a serious book. It's a serious book. We designed it in a way that a man or a woman could pick it up and feel comfortable reading it. There happens to be women's faces on it. So you're correct. There will be many places where this book will not be advertised. And I imagine there will be places that will not carry this book. I remember last year or two years ago, at one point, I was in Meisharim. And I went to this bookstore. And I came out. And I sat on the, I sat on the ground. And I started to cry. And my husband was like, uh, like, are you okay? What's going on? And I was like, I don't think that this store is going to carry my book. And he was like, well, all right, so, so what? And I was like, the reason why I'm upset about this is because these women are so, um, holy and whole and have so much to offer. And that really just bummed me out so hard. But listen, I believe that the only way to fix this is by doing. I don't really complain about this very much. I don't, we don't, I don't know that people hear me talking about this very much. Sometimes I do, but it's not like the, the main party line of the Layers Project. Because I think that the work is much more important because I think through doing the work, you begin to solve the problem. By having women on Instagram, by creating our own magazine, by writing our books and finding the places that will support us and, and, and be with us. And, you know, um, I, think that that, I think that's how we solve this problem. I think that, you know, advocating is really, really important, but I think doing is more important. Yeah, you're 100% right. And I think that also when, pe- I don't think that people are going to believe that you can have I don't think people are not going to believe the completely and 100% modest nature of women being out in public if you don't show them a completely modest version of that. What people are so terrified about and what these men mostly are so terrified about is this losing of our traditions, right? This um, degradation of orthodox values that will happen if women become in a you know, in a, if women exist in a more public space, well, it's already happening. So we're already in more public spaces. You're just not allowing us to take ownership of our accomplishments. And by showing that, yes, you can, you can be, have an accomplished career and have your family and do like, you can do all those things, not all at once. And please don't try because we don't need to deal with your breakdown, but you, you know, the, the, to show that these things can be done in a 
in a whole and modest way, that I think is the best work that that you could be doing and that you are doing with um, with this. I think I think there are a lot of women who are doing this work. We're just you know the layers project is just part of a, a larger a larger conversation for sure. It's so true. The book itself, I'm very excited to uh, to pre-order. I keep meaning to, and I forget. I'm doing it the second that we get off of awesome. this. Um, of this, get it before they run out. <laughs> ser- seriously, though, no, I'm not. I'm definitely doing it before we publish this episode, so that there we go. Perks, perks of the job, everybody. Um, <laughs> with was there something about the women that you spoke to, or the stories that you told, or the process of putting together the book that surprised you? Yes. Yes, absolutely. So I would show up to someone's house, you know, back in the days when you can go to someone's house. And I thought that we were talking about cancer. There's one particular story. She said, I have a cancer story. I said, okay, great. Sat down with her. And in the hour and a half that I spent with her, two hours, so many other things came out. Um, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna tell you the rest because I don't want to ruin the story. It's just it's such an unbelievably powerful story. And what's actually cool about the book is you can read all the all the stories, all the profiles that people love on the magazine that you have to usually wait for the part. You get them all at one time, so there's no waiting anymore, which is very cool. Um, but to keep the element of surprise, you have no idea. You have no idea what you're going to read. When you open a chapter, there's a title, but it doesn't tell you what it's about. And the story kind of unfolds as you go along. Now, and I think this is important to say, if you're somebody who is sensitive to certain kinds of content, there's an index in the back by topic. And there are page numbers of the pages that tackle specific topics. So if there's certain content that you're looking for or certain content that you're looking to avoid, you can easily kind of navigate the book so that you don't get walloped to something that's going to be very triggering or upsetting for you, which I, I think it was important to say. That's a really um, nice detail. Yeah, I, I thought about it a lot. <laughs> I thought about it a lot. Um, so in terms of surprise, I think it w- I think it was neat more than anything else in the sense of I wasn't prepared for how I was going to react to the stories. And so I had done, I don't know, hundreds of profiles before and essays and stuff like that. And for some reason, when I was sitting down to do this work, I was different. I, it was the first few months of my Aliyah and I was very emotional and I was like whole in a new way that I hadn't been before. And I was still healing. And I was also, I don't know, I was just in a different place. And so I just was looking at the stories and at the women in a different way than I had been before. I was looking at things deeper, um, richer, things just, uh, I don't I, it's hard to describe, but I think because I was different, the stories are different in the, in the sense that they're longer and they're more complex and more nuanced than ever. And I think it's because I just started looking at them differently, I guess. And so that was very surprising. Also, I was surprised by how difficult it was to write it and to write it in a vacuum. Nobody knew that I was writing it for years. I kept it a secret for years. And um, usually on a profile, we, we meet, I photograph you, we write it together, we process it all the way through, all the way through. And then uh, we publish it together and we're processing it all the way through. And then at the end of the week, 
I can let go. You know, like I can like, I sit, you know, like sitting with these women's emotions are so important to me because I got to get it right. You have to like, it's the empathy. I'm like an empath. So it's like, I have to feel what you're feeling in order to write it. And then I could let it go. But what happened was with the book, there was no catharsis. There was no letting it go. So as the numbers started piling up, one, two, 10, 20, 30, 35 stories, and I actually wrote many more that didn't end up in the book. Um, I held them for like two years and all their feelings and all their emotions. And it was very, very heavy for me. And um, that surprised me because I didn't have, I don't have experience in the magazine. That was new and hard, very hard. I'm sure. What was it about the ones that didn't make it to the book that made you not publish them? Um, either the woman wasn't sure if it was something she wanted to do. And I, I don't mess around with that that you have to be 1,000% sure this is what you want to do. I don't care if I spent 40 hours writing, editing, photographing, talking to you, processing. I don't care. I don't even for one second have a regret. I just pull it and that's it. It's over. Because you can't do this if you don't want to do this. Like that's just, that's not going to work. Or the women themselves just decided that it wasn't a good fit. You know, a lot of things changed over the years. Some people, you know, um, their life circumstances changed and it didn't feel resonant anymore or right anymore to, to share it. And that, that made sense to me. And so I was perfectly comfortable with, you know, people opting out for sure. Yeah. When you uh, backtracking a little bit for a bit, when you, when you talk about this, you know, like holding the emotions and sitting with it for a long time and needing to, to keep a lid on that for so long, what did you do to stay sane during that time? What did you do to take care of yourself when, oh, you're nodding your head no. <laughs> you don't like this question. No, no, no. You can ask me this question. I'll answer it. But it's, I am no, asking it's you this question. Answer. Go. Um, I didn't do a good job. I did not do a good job. I had like really, I was actually, I had therapy last night with my therapist. My therapist that I see now is the same therapist that I had in the state. So I've been seeing her for about five years. Um, and before I came to Israel, we had this incredible closure, like therapeutic closure, where I had achieved so much healing in the time that we had been working together. And it felt like she was sending me off to my beautiful new life and all would be well. And so that year, um, which, cause it, I wrote, I wrote everything in a year. The second year was editing and the third year was waiting because of the pandemic, but that's a different story. Uh, and so the first year of Aliyah, I should have been in therapy. I should have been in therapy. I can't say that clear enough. I should have been in therapy and I wasn't. Um, I was neglecting myself in the sense that I, um, I was changing and healing and, 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 and moving in ways that I hadn't in, in many, many years. Like I had a, a new lease on life moving to Israel. It was phenomenal, phenomenal. It was the best year. But I don't want to say that like I was like Nebuch the whole year. I wasn't. But I should have gone to the doctor more. I should have gone to therapy. I should have slept a little more. I should have stressed less. You know, um, what happened was, and, and uh, I, we talk about this in the profile tomorrow, which I guess you guys can go back and, and take a look when you hear this. But I, I sunk into a deep depression after I delivered the manuscript for like two months. Um, 
I just hit a wall. I completely hit a wall. I was just not okay because I hadn't been taking care of myself. And I learned a very hard lesson that um, I can't do that, that the work-life balance, like, you know, for someone like me, like I also have like, I have ADD and, you know, it was like the creative energy was moving me forward and propelling me forward. And being a perfectionist with ADD is really hard because with ADD, you, you get, you miss a lot of things, but then as a perfectionist, you fixate on them and you can get like hyper-focused. And by the time I finished and I, and I delivered, I kind of like collapsed and, and I, it took two months of therapy and sleeping and nourishing food and spending time with my family and my friends who really picked me up um, to come back to myself. And I did a lot of deep breathing and meditating and, and um, it was really hard. It was extremely hard, but I learned a lesson and I'm never going to, push myself that hard again. Um, this was the first time for me, you know? And so uh, I guess you learn things about yourself when you tackle new things. And this is something that I need to take better pauses, more breaks, more self-care for sure. First and last, as, as a recovering workaholic, you will make this mistake again, I promise. It'll be <laughs> to a lesser degree. Um, yeah, it, it will be to a lesser degree each time, but this is not something that you stop cold turkey. You, if you are an admitted perfectionist, trust I me am. on this one. We'll have I this am. conversation again. Um, and am. you know how to get in touch with me when you need it. <laughs> um, well, this time I'm in therapy. I'm back in therapy. So, you know, it's just a great space really just to process my feelings and to deal with my life. And so I'm totally fine during the week as long as I've got that one hour that I can, you know, like do do my EMDR do my somatic experiencing like really get getting back in touch with my body and ground myself for sure good good I'm, yeah. I'm glad that I'm glad that you have that space I and do. I, I hate that it was um that you went into a depression after you turned in the manuscript but I'm not sad oh. that the book exists and I'm very excited <laughs> to get my hands on it this this has been such a great I love I love pulling back the curtain for people to hear especially when people are doing important work like yourself somebody wants Thank to you. um to learn more about you, Shira, where can they go? They can go to layersprojectmagazine.com. They can check us out, the Layers Project, on Facebook and Instagram. Um, and also, you can follow me on my Insta, like my personal pages, Shira Lincoln Shep, both on Instagram and Facebook. I'm not a Twitter person. I have too many words for Twitter. It's sad. <laughs> Same problem. Um, I definitely hear that. And the book is available for pre-order now. We're actually unusually recording this very close to when it will be released um, because we want you to have a chance to get your hands on the book. So um, the link for that is in the show notes as well. You can uh, swipe up on the cover art um, or head over to impactfashionnyc.com. And in the show notes there, there will be um, a link to get the book. And I highly, highly recommend it. If you are a fan of the Layers Project, then there is then there's something really special about holding something like this in your hands. The last question that I want to ask you, Shira, is what I ask everyone who comes on the show. And that is to you, Shira Lincoln-Cheps, what does it mean to make an impact? Oh, that's such a good question. I think it means to use the unique uniqueness about you, your your energy, your drive, your passion to change the world a little bit, your corner of the world, you know, to open people's minds a little bit, to uh, to engage in healing for yourself and then spread that healing to others. I think that's for me making an impact. 
Thank you so much for coming on today, Shira. I Thank really appreciate you. It. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Shira, her links are in the show notes, including a link to pre-order the book. Please do that. Send me the proof and I will send you a $40 code. There you'll also find links to the most perfect pleated skirt, the coziest scarf, and the most comfortable mask. Access all of that by swiping up on the cover art or going to impactfashionnyc.com. If you'd like to apply to advertise on the Be Impactful podcast, please email me at rifke at impactfashionnyc.com. To hear more episodes, be sure to subscribe. If you enjoyed this episode and want to help more people hear it, leave a review or a quick rating. They make my day. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses. Original music composed by Nissan Fetman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rifke Itzkowitz. Catch me on Instagram and Facebook at impact.fashion.myc. As always, here's to making an impact together.